0: Jonah, the book, um, is about a man named Jonah, and uh, we're looking at the middle of the 8th century B.C., and those in the scholarly world that like to really narrow it down are thinking around 760 B.C. During the reign of Jeroboam II, for those of you who are Old Testament scholars who would know that name and know that he got in trouble, and Jonah had to um, speak to him of straighten things out, and you can track that storyline in the Kings and Chronicles. Uh, and what we don't know is whether Jonah actually wrote this little book, or whether it was written about him. And I don't think it really matters, um, as it is inspired. Now, I suppose this morning I could spend a lot of time, like a lot of pastors do, when they begin the Book of Jonah, um, trying to help you. Uh, understand uh, that this book is really about a a man who was swallowed by a large. I know you get that in your head and you start thinking, well, did that really happen? And uh, a lot of people think, no, it couldn't happen. And a lot of people have spent a lot of time, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with you this morning, but uh, if you wanted some adventure this afternoon, you can Google people swallowed by fish. No, seriously. Google people swallowed by fish. And I have to tell you, I lost about an hour and a half uh, one day. I'm sorry. I got caught. You know, the story's just fascinating. Um, but anyway, you could do that. But uh, I, I'll cut it short because if you go to Matthew chapter 1240, and we believe in Scripture, right? And we believe in Jesus, right? And if Jesus says something, case closed. Okay, well, Jesus said in Matthew 1240, or it's written that he said, Whereas Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. Case closed. Um, I don't need to defend the scripture where Jesus said, that's what happened. And so, as I said, you know, if you want the stories, you can go read. But I would prefer you not to whip out your devices and do it now because I think I'm going to say some pretty good stuff this morning. And uh, I wouldn't want you to be going, oh my goodness, he got swallowed by a fish, you know. Um, So hang in here with Jonah. What is of greater import for you and me this morning is the example that Jonah is to you and me about how we are to be living our lives and we're going to learn from Jonah from his disobedience, from his hatred. Yes, he had hatred. As a prophet of God, he hated certain people. And also his lack of concern for other people. Now, I know that doesn't describe any of you but you probably know somebody that they have these problems in their life. Now, Jonah's, uh, the book, is about a Mediterranean cruise, uh, but his this cruise is away from God, and Jonah decided that he was going to wander away from God, actually run in the opposite direction, and in that movement, he jeopardized um, the lives of some innocent sailors, as well as the business that the ship that he was on was actually in. And the men... Whose lives he was going to jeopardize are men who, in the storyline, were willing to and actually prayed and groveled before any God that would listen, including to Jonah's God, as the story gets on. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So, what we find with Jonah is a man who is modeling a way of living with people and that's actually sad, but it's not that uncommon to that. You see, as we live in this world, and I'm guessing you've probably observed that selfishness seems to be rising up as the way to do life. And you and I see that all through the week. We see it at intersections, we see it on the highways, we see it in the grocery stores as we're jostling to be the first in line. And we see it even as we uh, deal with these large conglomerates who now have discovered that they can raise prices in the shadow of the price raising during COVID, and still do it. Selfishness. It's everywhere. So Jonah's experience, I hope, will impact your lives as it has impacted mine. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles to open to Jonah chapter 1. And this is one of those books where if you have your Bible, you might want to highlight, you know, a little bubble gum in the margin here or there so you can find the important verses for you. But I'm going to begin reading at at verse 1 of chapter 1, which is probably a pretty good place to start the book. Anyway, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But, jo- but Jonah but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found the ship bound to that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, three cities here Nineveh, Joppa, and Tarshish. Now, if it was anybody else, these could have been uh, the names of ports of call for a Mediterranean sightseeing adventure. But for Jonah, they became places of sin and places of struggle with God. And he's going to struggle with God all the way to the end of this small little book and it's going to end at a place where you and I might be dissatisfied with how it ends. Now, God had called Jonah. Now, Jonah was a prophet. He worked for God. And God had asked him to do what his work was, to go and speak, to preach, to prophesy to a city, to a whole city, the city of Nineveh. And Jonah, we told, he heard the word from the Lord, but he refused to obey the call. He just outright disobeyed, and it's at this point that the games begin. Now Jonah, in response to God saying, go there, went down to the shore and got a boat to go there. And this Mediterranean did away adventure with his luggage at Joppa and a ship toward Tarshish. Now Tarshish, for most people, for most people, was just a seaport. It was on the Spanish coast. and If you picture the map, Carol, I'm going to do a map. That's my wife laughing at me, in case you don't know. Um, So we've got the Mediterranean Sea, and we've got Greece, and the boot of Italy, and then dangling off over here on the end, you have Spain, and then on the bottom end of Spain is Tarshish. Did I do that right, Carol? Pretty good. Okay, so... Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm directionally challenged. Um, I know that's the back of the sanctuary, and that's all I know. Um, so anyway, Jonah did this adventure away from God, and uh, if you're looking at a map... Oh, look, there's a map for you. Nineveh is only this far, whereas Tarshish is this far. You can see how intent Jonah is on not doing what the Lord had called him to do. Now, Nineveh, which is on the banks of the Tigris River... It's a huge mongus, I made that word up, it's a huge mongus city, perhaps the biggest city at the time, it's the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and we are told that it is a place of great, great wickedness, and God wanted them to hear his invitation to a different kind of life. And so God called Jonah to go and preach against the sins of the people and to warn them of God's impending punishment. So actually, he was one of those prophets that was like, turn or burn. It was that kind of a situation. Now, we're not real excited about those kind of messages today, but sometimes we need to hear that when we're stuck in sin, we need to turn from that. And so this was the message Jonah was going to take to Nineveh. Now later in chapter 4, we will learn that Jonah disobeyed not because he didn't like preaching, not because he didn't like missionary work, but he didn't like the people of Nineveh. 2 Chronicles 14 will give you some background. On that. And also about his preaching, which he apparently was pretty good at. He just didn't want them forgiven. That's so, saying no for Jonah wasn't about his job description. It wasn't about the hardship of the travel or the work of the preaching or even that he might be rejected by the people of the city. It was just Jonah's selfishness. He was dissatisfied with God's agenda because he knew enough about God that if he preached, if he did so, and God's message was received, these people would get a new chance at life. Jonah didn't want that. And in this passage, these verses I just read, there are three phrases that are important for us. The word of the Lord came. Well, sometimes it comes to you and me. In this situation, it came to Jonah with very specific instructions. And then the instructions were, go and preach. Now, I'm going to bring that back because we've been told something similar like that. But Jonah ran from the Lord. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands this morning, but I wonder how many people in this room have run from the Lord at some point, or maybe not run from the Lord, but sat when he told you to go and do. And so as we think through these words, as we think through these first three verses, we recognize that God had clearly spoken to Jonah, that he had given him very specific instructions which Jonah had heard, and they were pretty simple. Do your job. Do what I have called you to do. And I would say at the end of the day, Jonah's response is pure foolishness, but it was also sinful. And we'll discover later that though it seems kind of weird that he would disobey God, this act of disobedience was well thought out. He had thought through the process of the sin that he was about to do. Now I know, at least one person in this room besides me has actually thought through and then sinned anyway. That's what Jonah just did in this story. Now, sitting here in our comfortable sanctuary, thousands of years later, we can look back with 2020 hindsight and we can see his, his sin. And it's easy for us to pass judgment and say, Yo, that wasn't a good thing to do. But my question this morning for you and me, are we any different? And well, just think with me. What have we done with the Great Commission? Go and tell. Go and make the What have we done with that? Isn't our silence when we're around people who don't know Jesus... Our inactivity to create new relationships with people we're pretty sure don't know Jesus. And in those moments where we could help a neighbor or a stranger, and perhaps in that create a relationship that could lead to going and telling, Aren't we just like children? So you see, the call to the people of the church to go and love our neighbors, to go and make disciples. That call involves, on our part, active attention to what God has called us to, active attention to what's going on around us, to a deliberate display of love toward those around us, and actually purposeful conversation with those people that we're supposed to love with the hope that Jesus could come up in the conversation yet most of us, most of the people of the church, are mute. 5 We're like Now, if our lives are to be a series of acts of worship, we had a beautiful passage read to us this morning from Romans chapter 12. And out of that passage, one of the phrases that I find to be such a magnificent call upon our lives is that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices not like the sacrifices of the Old Testament where once they were offered, well, they were done because they were dead. You and I get to be living sacrifices, offering ourselves on the altar of service for God over and over and over again. But do we? Do we do it over and over again? Or are we still living on that memory 15 years ago when we told that one person about Jesus and we're thinking that was good enough? Jonas, that. he had done that before. Now, being honest, I find myself guilty on occasion of deliberately missing the target of my life. Of thinking through the logistics of engaging somebody and playing games in my head why I won't. Well, they, they don't really want to talk with me. They just want me to listen to them. Um, well, I'm just so busy, well, I'm a pastor, you know, I'm just so busy, I don't have time to do this. And we all play those games. They're in our head, and then they stop us from doing something with our lives. Now, um, Jonah, being like us, had a disease that's contagious, but it is rampant among human beings. I don't know that animals struggle with this disease but it's called I-itis. Can you say that with me? I-itis. It's common, and it's often fatal. It's a situation where self becomes the basis upon which we make all of our decisions. It's all about me. And if it's all about me, the world kind of shrinks in on me because I'm relatively small. And I know some of you are thinking, I know, he eats a lot of cookies, so he's pretty big. But I'm relatively small in the giant scope of life. And so are you. And if we shrink in on ourselves and we make everything about ourselves, we become pretty insignificant in the context of the kingdom of God, in which we're supposed to be serving. Now, in Jonah's case, selfishness wasn't so that he could get something. And often for us, when we're selfish, it's about something we want. But in Jonah's case, his selfishness was to prevent others from having what he had. And essentially, the people of the city of Nineveh, the representatives of the nation of the Assyrians, he didn't want them to enjoy the grace and mercy of God. And so I I took over and he made his choice. Now, as it turns out, God was less than pleased with Jonah. But instead of calling a more responsive, a more obedient prophet to replace him, which is probably what I would have done—I would have just said, "You're fired," to send somebody else—God went looking for Jonah. Actually, He didn't go looking for him because He knew exactly where he was. But what He did is He began to move around him, creating circumstances that would nudge him back in the direction that he needed to go. Listen to verse 4 and 5. Then the Lord sent a giant wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Have you ever been on a ship where you thought it was going to go down? This is kind of what the description. I've only been on one boat that I thought was going down. I was a kid. I was with my dad and his best friend. We were on uh, Lake Erie, and we had gone out fishing, and we had caught trout, and we had caught some other stuff. And on the way back, the wind kind of came up, and I was barfing over the rail because the waves were above the boat, below the boat, above the boat. And I thought, we're going to die out here. Well, this is where Jonah is. Ship threatened to break up. Now, Jonah's not aware of this yet. Verse 5, All the sailors were afraid. Now, You know when the sailors who do this for a living are afraid that there's a problem. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship so it would stay afloat. But Jonah, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now, the God who calms the water, the God who can walk on water called forth a violent storm that seemed to threaten to break the ship into pieces. And these sailors, fearing for their lives, threw the cargo, which was the whole purpose of being on the boat in the middle of the water, is to get that cargo someplace to make money. But to save their lives, they were throwing the cargo overboard, and they were praying to any God that might listen. We're talking fear. Meanwhile, where's Jonah? Sleeping. He caused this. And he's sleeping. He found it. I think this is what was going on. Once he had decided to disobey God and not listen, the best place to be is asleep because you can't hear in your sleep. Or we think we can't hear in our sleep. And so he had checked out. He had checked out of his ministry. He had checked out of life. He had absolutely no concern for the impact that his life was having on the lives of those around him. But this storm was a purposeful storm. It was calling Jonah back toward God, an act of repentance. Verse 6. Now the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. They'd exhausted all their guns. One person left who maybe had a different God, and the captain went to him. And I believe, as I read back into this account, that the voice of the captain was the voice of God shaking Jonah. Wake up, O sleepyhead. Now, we assume from the storyline that Jonah actually got up when the captain woke him up. But what we're less certain of is that he actually did anything. Because he was running from God. He wouldn't listen to God. And my guess is he wasn't going to talk with God. But he got up. And in desperation, these sailors chose the magic eight-ball approach to finding out what they needed to do. Verse 7 and 8. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on... Yeah, you know... So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? For what people are you? Now, casting lots was a common practice back then. And they used it to determine the future. They used it to make decisions. It's the equivalent of flipping a coin or playing rock, paper, scissors randomly allowing randomness to make your decision. Well, Jonah's name was drawn as the cause of the storm, and they put him under the microscope, as it were, and they asked him all these questions. They wanted to know who he was and probably figure out what was the problem. And one might think that while under that kind of a spotlight, Jonah might have changed his mind to do the right thing. Absolutely not. Verse 9, Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. And when they it's all capital letters. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land, and this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Now they knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them. Now the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? What should we do to you to make the sea calm down? And Jonah in verse 12 says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know it was my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, I don't know about you, I've been stubborn about sin on a couple of occasions, but one of the things that, because I'm still standing here, is I wasn't going to die for my sin. And as I was confronted with it, I've always managed to move away from it. But that's not what's going on here. Jonah was willing to die for his sin and in his sin just to get his way regarding Nineveh. So intent on the people of Nineveh experiencing the wrath of God that he was willing to die to make sure that happened. Yeah. I'm running from the God I serve. And yes, the storm is my fault. God, Throw me in, and you'll be fine. Now, we're talking about hard-hearted stubbornness here. And that kind of works. Verse 13. Instead, and the men didn't throw them in, instead the men did their best to row back the land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. They've already made a decision. They're now praying that God wouldn't punish them for doing what Jonah told them they did to happen. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O oh Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah, they lifted him up, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Now, I want you to notice a contrast between the plagues in this account. We have Jonah, a prophet of God, who was willing to die to protect his ill will toward people of the city of Nineveh, and in his life there is no room for grace or mercy. On the other hand, we have a ship full of heathen, non-believers, the sailors, who had prayed to every god they'd ever heard of, who now bowed to worship the god of Jonah. And so we find the rebel prophet sinking in the waves, the sailors watching his bubbles, and they're worshiping God. That's a huge contrast. Now, I'm hoping that you and I can learn from Jonah. Learn from Jonah before God is moved to throw us into the sea. I'd like to highlight three truths that I've observed in this passage that are valuable for you and me. Now, the first truth is, you and I cannot run from God by changing our address. We cannot run from God by changing our address. There is absolutely nothing that we might do to escape God's presence or commands. A new location, a new image, a new job, does not, does not allow us to redefine God's will. Now, God had called Jonah to preach against Nineveh, um, big city, a sinful city. And Jonah had run the other way. He went, instead of to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish. Now, God knew his travel plans, And he reached out to him. Remember back in verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that that ship threatened to break up. God knew exactly where he was. He knew exactly where to blow the wind so that he affected that ship. God always knows where we are. Because he's right there. Everywhere. Including where we are. Now sometimes... In those moments, you and I need to ask one of several questions, and you'll have more questions in mind, but am I disobeying God? You know, sometimes life just starts to get hard around us. We feel like we're being leaned on. Am I disobeying God? Am I not doing what I know He told me to do? Now, sometimes we think that's two different things, but both are still sin. Am I being selfish? Is it boiled down to a bad case of i ID? Am I on my run toward my targets? Have I chosen to do something other? Now I want you to know that in all of this, everything that happened to and around Jonah, God never left Jonah. He never lost sight of Jonah, was never not fully aware of what was going on. Now on the other hand, a first good step for Jonah might have been acknowledging that God cannot be ignored, cannot be avoided, should not be disobeyed. Second truth, our own cleaning feet might kick up ugly storms. And sometimes they impact other people. The very act of running from God, of embracing what is wrong, whether we know it is or don't know it is, often creates a hornet's nest of other problems to go with it. Now, for Jonah, the storm on the Mediterranean Sea that threatened to break apart this ship, which threatened to drown all of these sailors, perhaps the crew, and other passengers on the ship, well, our disobedience might not lead to such extreme and obvious potential loss or harm to others, but our indifference, our lack of love for others might block their interest in the Gospel. And my friends, that would be hell for them. Because we didn't talk. We didn't reach out. We didn't love our neighbor. Jonah knew he was wrong. I am a Hebrew, verse 9, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And they asked him what he had done He knew he was running from the Lord's command. And I don't know that we need to run, but sitting idle when there's something to do is equally wrong. Like Jonah, you and I hear God's voice. And like Jonah, we sometimes go the other way. Like Jonah, we are willing to play games with God simply because we don't want to play the game He wants us to. And like Jonah, we sometimes find ourselves in deep water, sinking fast in our sin. Now I wonder this morning, are you playing games with God? Have you chosen to sin? Has God given you a neighbor to love? Are you actively loving them? With deeds? With words? With prayer? With time? With witness? Or not? place in between? Well, I'm I'm thinking about it. There's action, and then there's inaction. Perhaps you or I have done what Jonah did. We go on vacation away from God. We follow what I want. Here, a storm was ceased because Jonah owned. Truth number three, a Christian in Tarshish, that is, living in sin, is the most dangerous person to themselves and to those around him. Jonah could have been responsible for the loss of the ship, could have been responsible for the loss of the sailors, could have been responsible for any other travelers on that ship, merely because he chose sin as his response to God's command. And when we choose sin, we don't usually think through... Okay, I'm going to do this. We don't think through the impact our sin is going to have on others or on our impact on others. You see, sin is seldom a personal matter because it harms us. And it could be contagious to others around us. It harms us and it could actually draw others toward the direction we have chosen. And so we do well to keep in mind that no sin is committed in total isolation. Every sin is a violation of God's holiness, and it breaks God's heart, and every sin drives the nails into into the hands and feet of Jesus. We wound God with our sins, but we also wound others with our sins. Innocent people. Now, from our vantage point, we can see that Jonah sinned and that others might have come to harm. And it's easy for us to look back on this. But we might not be so bold about our own sins that when we choose to sin or when we choose not to do what is the right thing or when we choose not to do what we've been called to do, that wrong moves in. that's even greater wrong We weren't involved with it at all because our presence there was visible. We chose not to respond. And so, the question for you and me this morning is I try to tie this together for us. Are we playing games with God when it comes to our choices to do sin? And have we counted the cost of choosing to embrace the way of sin, or as Jonah modeled? Disobedience to his call on our lives. And sometimes not doing something doesn't seem like sin unless we track that not doing back to God wanting us to do it. And then the not doing is sin. Jonah may have run from the Lord's instructions, but he did not manage to hide from the Lord. Verse 17 The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. God wasn't done with Jonah. Of okay, course, so you're going to have to come back next week to hear what he's going to do with him inside that fish. But we're not better than Jonah. I am convinced that we too could find ourselves inside a giant fish or well, something equally yucky. you and I might prove wiser than Jonah if we avoid sin, if we quickly confess sin, and if we yield to God's commandments. And of the sins we might commit by following in Jonah's path, the sins of not loving our neighbor, not sharing the good news, not only stain our souls, but leave others in the dark. God's directive to Jonah Verses 1 and 2, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, against its sin. Sounds a little bit like our directive from Jesus. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go and tell. Go and make disciples. Now, this is really important. When we eat raw fish, call it fishing. Now I wonder when fish eat raw people, what do we call that? My question though is, how long can you tread water? God has a plan for our lives. And it is pretty apparent to me from this account and others in Scripture and from some of my own experiences that God has big fish for us if we don't want to So.